0: Welcome to Inspect, a show about web design and web development. I'm your host, Ajay, and with me as usual is Kay. Hey, guys. Um, In today's episode, we're going to be talking about semantics and HTML structure and um, some of the more recent HTML elements that have been added to the spec uh, and how to use them in the correct
1: way. Okay. So what is semantics? What's your understanding of semantics or semantic HTML?
0: Yeah, I suppose we should start on what what the sort of definition of semantics is. So um by dictionary definition, semantics is the study of meanings. And um so in a in HTML context, that's basically uh the study of the correct use of certain elements. Um so there you know, there's there's various HTML elements which are designed to do a particular thing. You have a P tag for a paragraph, you have a UL for an unordered list and OL for an ordered list. And semantics is just a case of using those correct elements uh, for their, their intended use. Um, you know, there is always a uh, you know a common mistake that maybe a lot of uh, beginner developers might make is to um, wrap wrap all their sort of content in divs or wrap all of their text in in paragraph tags and um, where it may not need to be like that and um, maybe not using the right heading level um, to sort based on the you know the hierarchy of the page so semantics is basically just using the right elements in the right place uh, for the right type of content any any thoughts on that
1: yeah i think that makes sense i think um i'd go back to when i first started coding html and i think back then i had no i had no concept of uh semantic html or you know the correct way to use it i mean this is before html5 right so html4 uh, in its infancy, when HTML, when the web first came about, and so I was like, I, I don't know about you, but I was creating web pages, you know, using divs, um, which is semantic anyway, but giving the div like meaningful names, so I understood what that div was, and if another developer took the code on board, they'll understand what was going on as well. So it's about breaking down a page, um, you know, using things like you know, navigation um, div class header and then inner header, uh, main content, and then splitting up the main content into, you know, um, left, right, um, and, you know, div class footer, and things like that. Um, So literally giving every single div a meaningful name. Um, And then with the advent of HTML5, you know, everything just got a lot easier. You know, and I think we'll talk about those um, semantic tags that, you know, introduced by HTML5, but, you know, things like, Using header instead of using, you know, div class header. Uh, you, you know, the head is understood straight away by the browser and by search engines as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's it really. I think when I first started, I had no concept of it. Um, so, I kind of just gave my own meaningful name. Those names are probably really poor, <laughs> you know, really, really long sort of class names for a div, but I kind of gave myself an idea of what was going on on the page.
0: Yeah exactly and I think that's that's the way it was before sort of HTML5 really really came into came into play which was back in 2014 uh, before then like you said everyone would you know there was divs everywhere um and uh yeah we were just creating context by using IDs and classes to to name those divs and then HTML5 came around and uh, introduced the, a bunch of new elements um and uh, those those were there for for structuring your content better, uh, and you know, giving a bit more meaning to the content rather than just having everything in, in this sort of meaningless div container, which is which is basically that's all it is. A div is just a box uh, without any any real real meaning to the browser. So um, yeah, some of the HTML five um, elements that were in that were introduced. Uh, the main ones, I suppose, are um, header, footer, um, main. There was nav. Um, section, aside, and article. Those are the sort of seven, is that seven, or eight? Um New ones that were introduced. So, yeah, I suppose we could just go through each one of those and just give a a quick uh, outline about what it's for and where it should be used and, um, you know, what's the best way to sort of structure your page using those now?
1: I think I'm probably like a, a culprit of not really taking much notice of these um semantic HTML tags. Um, I'll be honest with you, like when I code pages, um, usually I'm heavily reliant on what I've already coded in the actual theme or the page template. So whatever's whatever I've usually coded in there, I kind of like go, go along with. And I kind of usually let the content dictate the how far the semantics will go on a page. So if there's no no block quotes. No use for a you know an, an article tag, or you know the aside tag or anything like that. I just won't use them at all, and I tend not to use those particular kind of tags anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know we talk about the I mean the very first one, header. Um, you know, to me, I've always used you know div class equals header in my code. So when that came about in HTML five, it was like okay, brilliant, cool. I know exactly where this goes. You know at the top of the page um usually for any kind of my important heading elements um i think a logo would go in there the navigation will sit in there um maybe the search bar might sit in the same sort of um the same container as well in the header container um i think those are the main kind of elements that i that i usually put in the header um, yeah
0: and the and beauty about things like the header as always well that they don't come with any default styling so if you if you have got an existing site which has div class header, um, you can literally just rename that div to header. Uh, and then you're, in your HTML, you're basically what you would have is header class header. So your CSS will still pick up the class name, but semantically your HTML would just automatically make sense now because it's wrapped in the correct correct element. So actually upgrading to these uh, more semantic HTML elements is, is actually quite easy, um, especially if you have got meaningful classes on everything. Exactly, yeah. Of course, if you ha- if you have got a header element, you don't necessarily need the header class on there as well, because you can, you know, in your CSS, you can target the, the element directly. Um, but the thing with uh, the thing with the header, for example, is that you can have multiples on a page, so it is still quite a, quite handy to have a class on there as well, because yeah, just to differentiate one header from another. Um, but yeah, that's a very quick and easy way to sort of upgrade your your HTML is just to rename some of those elements that you've got, these wrapper elements. Yeah. Yeah, and the same same goes with the footer. So, you know, the footer should um, you know, be at the bottom of your content. Uh, after your your main content. It generally includes things like um your contact information, copyright information, uh, maybe some like links to um maybe like a site map or something like that. Some non- non trivial pages in your site. Um normally has like a link back to the top. Uh so it's it's it basically just a wrapper for the stuff that you'd expect to be in the footer. But again, like like the header, you can have multiple footers on a page. Um and we'll get into that in a second. Um about sort of the scoping of sections and um but one of the one of the good ones that was introduced I think is um is a nav element. Uh yeah which, um, again, doesn't doesn't actually have any any styling attached to it, doesn't have any children, so it doesn't necessarily say that this is going to spit out a navigation bar. It's just to say that whatever's contained inside this nav element is the navigation for the site. So inside the nav element, you could have an un- unordered list or you could just have a bunch of hyperlinks. It doesn't really matter what you've got in there as long as they are links to other sections of the site. Um... How you how you structure it is is up to you really. Uh, the nav is just to the nav element is just to say that this this content is navigational content.
1: Mm, yeah, no, I think that's um, that for me. That was like a a, a winner for me because um, a lot of the time when when I was coding menus, it was always u- using an unordered list to to create them, and you ha- you you know you you can use them in the body of a page as well you know, when you're, when you're creating lists uh, throughout your page content, um, but then, then you've got to use, you know, uh, well-defined class names to separate them. Um, and one thing I always found was in my, in my early days um, coding HTML and CSS, um, you know, just giving these unordered lists, you know, the same name sometimes, and or sometimes I wasn't giving them a class name. And so when I was coding, like, the menu, like, um, like the main menu, it would affect every other, unordered list on the page so it was about getting really really kind of granular with uh, the naming conventions for these class names but having the nav up there you know strictly kind of tells you tells a browser tells um, search engines that this is uh, the navigation element for this page and for this site so yeah i think that you know that's a brilliant little um uh,
0: semantic uh, html yeah, and, that, and that's the biggest takeaway, really, that the class names and IDs, they're going to help you with your styling um, and, and maybe, you know, with some JavaScript hooks. But the actual element, these semantic elements, they're going to help the browser know, uh, and search engines especially, know uh, the importance of various bits of content on your page. So, you you know, you could have a um, a, a header, for example, which has two, two lists in it. Mm. Um, and uh, one list is being used for navigational elements, and another list could be used for, I don't know, showing some like a list of promotions, for example. Yeah. In terms of HTML, they're two unordered lists, but by wrapping one of them in a nav element, it just tells the search engine that these are the navigational links, and you should treat these as links to other pages, and and you know, treat them with that importance. Whereas the other the other list, although it may also contain links, those links aren't. Navigational links, they could be links to, uh, you know, launch pop ups or links to external sites or, or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll give you an example. I've, I've taken on a client who are um, helping out with a website they got built by someone else. And for some reason, they're, well, I know the reason why, but their website was um, appearing in um, Google search results with their footer menu being given prominence over the main navigation. So, the fringe links were, you know, showing up for their listing, for their organic listing. So things like, you know, um, contact us, Mm -hmm. website designed by so-and-so, email us, and things like that. So they couldn't get their head around why that was happening. So after a quick browse over their coding for their website, a nav uh, tag was used in the footer, but not in the main menu. And they're using a theme. And the fact that the theme isn't using... (laughs) the correct semantics within it is, you know, that's alarm bell straight away. So I kind of figured out why that's happening, but whether or not it has any effect after I make any changes is another thing to to look at. But, um, yeah, that's a perfect example.
0: Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so these things, they are important, yeah.
1: Yeah. um, The sections thing, I think we spoke about this last week or the week before, um, especially when you've got uh, really, really long websites or um, one-page websites, sorry, that scroll on and on and on, and my sort of my sort of rule was to only include one H1 tag per per page, and then you know you mentioned that as long as you're using sections and you're defining sections clearly on that page, you can have more than one per section. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. So this is the thing. So I I kind of like with the semantic side of things, I know. The semantic HTML tags and when to use them, etc. But something like that, uh, you know, that was new to me. They knew you brought that up last week, so um, that's uh, pretty cool that you can use multiple H ones and on a on the same page if you're using your sections right.
0: And if you just just stop and think about it for a second, it, it makes total sense because a section is basically like a, a new block of content, and yeah. there's no it's it's like a chapter of a book. You wouldn't expect chapter one to have a nice you know, bold heading for its chapter title, and then every other chapter after that doesn't have one. You know, it, you'd expect them all to look and feel the same uh, as you're scrolling through a book. So mm. if if once you start a new section, then this is where I was saying just, just earlier about having multiple headers and footers. So you can have your whole site wrapped in a, a main element, uh, which has a header and a footer. Uh, and then you can have a section, which can have a header and footer, and then another section, header and footer, and each of those can have their own H1, H2, H3 hierarchy in there as well. So you basically you can sort of structure your page as uh, lots and lots of individual pages just by using the section tag uh, to to sort of break up that content. And um, one one way I like to think about about all this is um, so when you've got a word document and you're you're writing, say, a um, piece of work for for school or something and you're using the the formatting options within your word processor so you're setting your title you're not just you're not just increasing the font and making it bold you're actually defining it as a title one or heading one and then your you know your paragraphs you're you're defining those as normal text or whatever you've decided to name them and then when you have got a smaller heading you're not just decreasing the font size you are assigning it as heading two Essentially, what you're doing is you're you're creating a HTML structure there. Exactly. And the nice thing is in Word or something like Google Docs or whatever, you have um, this like overview um, panel on the left where you can sort of see, look at your document structure and all it does, it doesn't show you like every single part of your document. It just shows you the titles. It just shows you all the H1s and all the H2s and, and what other formatting options you've used. And that's the way I like to think of, sort of HTML as well, is that by defining these, these headings and these uh, sections you're just basically creating this document structure this document outline which is which you can then you know get like a high level view of how your content is structured right
1: yeah yeah I think it's, it's very similar to when you look back at um, if you went to university you handed in a, a dissertation there was there was some very strict guidelines as to what that dissertation should follow in terms of its presentation and layout, um, you know, even to the font size and double spacing and line heights and things like that. But I think the important things are, yeah, you're talking about your your title, your main title, um, headings, subheadings, and then using um, bullet lists or you know bullet points and citation and quoting in the correct manner and and things like that. So it's very very similar to that. So when you think about it that way, so if you like from um, you know, my background where I don't really think much about semantic HTML. I just kind of like go go with it. Um, if you take that sort of concept of how uh, a dissertation should be structured for, for university and take that concept and bring it forward to your web page, I think it, it'll, it sort of works hand in hand and it's more easier to kind of understand. Because even to this day, like right now, I'm going for these HTML, Tags that we've got listed on our on our trillo board and' there's a few there i've I've not even seen, <laughs> so it's um yeah it's it's crazy
0: yeah, I think you know as as developers when you're when you're putting together a web page um it's, it's sometimes you need, you need to just get something down you know just to sort of get a proof of concept out, and it is quick to just throw a bunch of divs on the page and and just get your structure right um because the structure could change over time. So, you know, if that's the case, then uh, semantics are normally a bit of an afterthought. And, you know, it's very easy to just sort of forget about them. And, you know, the site is working, it's looking good. Right, let's get it let's get it live. Um, but it's only a little bit further down the line when you're trying to maybe do some SEO or you're trying to, um, you know, you're trying to sort of surface some particular content in some sort of social capacity, like on, on you know, a sharing widget or something like that when you realize that actually your content is not structured quite right and your search engines aren't seeing what they need to see exactly and then you have to go and do all this rework so it's it is good to have it front of mind but i you know i think it's one of those things that most people it is a little bit um a secondary step uh, step one is just to get your content out first
1: i think the way the way i approach it i mean when i when i create um templates for a website um, using my my own theme that i have The semantics are in there, to you know. So the things like you know your header, main, um, you know your H1 through to your H6. But I never really get to H6. I mean, (laughs) any page that I create usually goes up to like H4, maybe a H5. So like footer, uh, things like that. So everything like that is in there. But the rest of it is purely my my personal opinion. I think the rest of it is all dictated by the content and the type of content that the page is going to have. So later on down the line, if the the con- client decides to, you know, send over content for a new page and or for, let's just say for a blog post, they don't have any blog posts. And now they want to, you know, put a blog post on their website. So okay, we, we create the blog page layout for them. And then we kind of emphasize this that this is an article. Um, you know, then we use all the other um, semantical you know, HTML tags to outline the fact that this is an article and there's an author attributed to it, um, there's citations in there, there's, you know, subscript, superscript, or, you know, anything like that. Um, it's kind of then defined as and when the contents are over, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is determined by the content as well. So until you've actually got some real content in your site, you're not going to know whether to use any of these elements but it's it's these few sort of structural ones that are the most important i think is the you know like we've discussed the header footer main nav section and then there's article and aside articles uh an interesting one because you just I, I tend to use that one a fair bit now um if you go into the onto the podcast website inspect.fm uh, each episode is wrapped in an article element okay uh, and the reason for that is because article is supposed to be used for um like reusable content so um Blog posts or um, obviously articles.
1: Mm.
0: It could be you could wrap it around um, like a product page, for example. Yeah. Yep. Which uh, which may that product may appear in various different scenarios, uh, like in, on a feed or you um, know in a, in a basket page. So you can wrap an article around that as well. Uh, so it's just a way of just for defining like reusable content. And then the other the other one that's it gets used a bit less is uh, aside, which is a, a bit of a funny one because aside is supposed to be used as sort of secondary content to your secondary content to your main content. Um, so the obvious one is like if you've got a blog and then you've got a sidebar. Uh, yeah, but it can also be, like aside can also be used uh, within an article. So you can have your main content of your article and then you can have an aside In your article, right? So, so for like example, in an in an article, suppose you've got a um, a bunch of a bunch of headings, and you've got quite a long form article. Um, You may have uh, a little table of contents just towards the top of the article, some links uh, which aren't navigational links necessarily, but they're just sort of links to further anchor links further down the page, and that could be in an aside. Or if you've got an advert, you know, if you if you're selling ads on your website, you could put your your adverts in an aside. So it's not necessarily part of the article, but it's kind of mm. linked to that article. Okay. Yeah, but that one I don't I don't use it very much. Uh, I don't always have a good use case for it, apart from the sidebar.
1: The only time, yeah, the only time I'm ever using that is um, in the sidebar for um, a WordPress powered website on the on a blog page, um, because it's there by default. Um, so I won't actively go and code that into any other template. I mean, unless it's required. So if Another content page on the website like about us requires a sidebar which you know has maybe some ads in there and um you know recent blog posts, then it will be thrown in there. Um but that very rarely happens. So yeah, I mean the first time I saw that was in a in a WordPress uh template and um it makes sense. It does make it, it does make sense. So, you know, it probably it probably is a good idea to use it um more to define your content.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think the rest of the rest of the HMO sort of semantic tags are all fairly fairly obvious when they should be used. You know, you've got abbreviation tag, uh, you've got an address, um, a block quote, you've got um, things like um, sub sub and superscript um, keyboard. So you've got the KBD tag, which is supposed to be like text that's entered by user. Um, but the one that's slightly not obvious is when you've got a bold and a strong, and then you've got italic versus uh, emphasis because they both visually visually they both do the same thing. um exactly. And before strong was introduced, I don't know when that was introduced. It was pre HTML five. But obviously, if you wanted to make some t- text bold, you wrap it in a b. Yeah. Um, but you know what's becoming more and more common now, especially with CMSs, is that they wrap it in a, a strong tag. A strong. Tag, now, yeah. do you know what the difference is?
1: Um. I was going over it, but I, I think it's one's to emphasise the importance and the others to highlight.
0: Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that the bold tag is, is purely visual, whereas strong gives it some contextual emphasis as well. Correct. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And the place where that will really take effect is if you're using, like, a screen reader, and, uh, you know, if the screen reader is reading your text just uh, and you've got a a paragraph, a sentence with a bold word in the middle, uh, wrapped in a b, wrapped in a bold tag. Then the screen reader will just read that normally. Whereas if it's wrapped in a strong tag, then the screen reader should, in theory, just change its voice slightly to give it a bit more emphasis. Um, yeah,
1: esen- essentially, it's the b and the i tags. Um, they're not semantic. And this is what I was reading.
0: No, they're not. They're not. They're purely um, decorative
1: visual that's all it is yeah and that was an interesting one because i was like okay um you know what's what's the difference so I, I think i'm going back to my website yeah when you use um a cms um a rich text editor it will use strong but then i've gone back to some old websites where i've actually used b <laughs> and uh yeah so but it's a mixture of b and strong
0: yeah, again, it comes down to context. Do you want this text yeah. to just look slightly bolder just because it looks nicer? Or do you want it to sort of shout out a little bit? Do you want it to be bolder to to create emphasis? And then you need to use those, the correct one, I guess. Um, but I think if you're just using strong everywhere rather than bold, then uh, you're probably in a safe place because all, all the CMSs seem to do that as well now. Um,
1: yeah, and I think from a SEO point of view, it's not frowned upon as well.
0: Yeah, it's just a shame that you know one of them's one letter and the other one's six so
1: exactly yeah that's a killer
0: so again <laughs> it comes down to you know getting your code out quickly or getting it out cleanly so you know if you're going for speed then you probably will just type a b uh whereas if you want to be correct then you should try and use a strong wherever possible yeah that makes sense yeah okay so that that kind of covers all of the new sort of semantic. Uh, tags. Do you use any tools that you've got to sort of test your code or, or make sure that you're writing things properly? Um, I've got. One. Um,
1: I've I've used uh, which one have I used? So apart from the W3C validator, um, there's a, a browser add-on I was using when I was using Firefox to to build websites, and um, it's it's just I think it's called Semantic Checker. Um, And what that does is like your Chrome inspector, so your DevTools inspector, it highlights everything using different colours and, you know, it kind of like notifies you um, of anything that's missing as well. So it kind of advises you that, you know, you could also add this, this, and this to the page. Um, I was using that a while ago. Um, And then there's Outliner that um, that I've used for Chrome. But to be honest with you, um, I tend to... When I'm carrying an SEO check or an on-page SEO check, um, two or three of the SEO uh, checking tools that I subscribe to actually sort of generate a report and uh, provide quite a lot of information about the semantic data on the page. So um, I tend to just go with those now and they're paid for um, sort of tools that I use. Um, They're not cheap uh, and I'm purely using it for on-page SEO. Just to make sure, you know, pages are loading quickly enough, and file size is all good, and you know we've got deferring in there, synchronous loading of scripts and things like that. But the the other clever part is it does actually give you a massive report on your semantic HTML. Um, I can't remember the names of of the ones I'm using, but um, I think it was SEO Site Checker is one that I'm using. But yeah,
0: um, that's what I'm using. Okay, yeah. Well, if you can dig out some of those links, we can put them in show notes afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the main one I use is a Chrome extension called HTML5 Outliner. Is that the same one that you just mentioned, possibly? Yeah,
1: Outliner for Chrome, yeah.
0: Yeah, which is really good. Um, so essentially what it does, you just click on the extension and it, it adds, what it's doing in the background is it adds a bunch of IDs to all of your HTML5 elements that it finds. And then um, it uses those IDs to sort of generate the report but what it does is it finds it finds uh, all the H1s, the articles, the, the sections and so forth. And it lays them out in a sort of uh, an indented tree sort of structure. Yeah. So you can quickly see that, uh, okay, I've got a, a title for my blog post and I've got it as a H2, for example. Um, and then you click on outliner. And if that H2, that title is appearing um, maybe further indented than it should be. Then you've probably got something wrong in your actual um, sectioning elements. So then maybe that H two is scoped wrong within your HTML. So it's it's a bit hard to explain, obviously, on an audio podcast, but um, it's definitely worth checking out. And if you just go onto like some of your existing work that you've done, or some pages that you off you know visit often, and just click on it and just see how that page is structured, and you will get a, quite quickly you will get a, an idea of the way this thing works. One thing that it does do though, is um, it expects to have a, t- uh, a heading inside each sectionable content. So um, a sectionable content is not just the section tag, it's also the n- the main tag and the nav. Um, and I don't know if this is a, a sort of a hard and fast rule, but really all of those, they should have a heading in them. If you've got a section. It should have a header and a header should always have a heading inside it um, whether that heading is visible or not um, that doesn't matter but in terms of just just to just to attach a label to it so for an example if i go to the inspect website and i just run this uh, outliner on the home page what i do is I get, I get the h1 is the title of the site so it says inspect and then indented at it's giving me an untitled nav because I've got a nav element around the main navigation of the site, but there's no heading inside that nav. So then it's untitled. So really what I should do to get rid of that error, it's not an error, but to that warning, is to put a, a heading inside the nav and then just with CSS, just hide it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I've, I've, I've got an example as well. Um, so WordPress, by default, always attaches I think it's a heading tag to every single page it gives it a h1 by default and it exists on every single page um on your single post template on your index page template and what I tend to do is I write some css to hide all of these things that I don't require because I don't use them and then what I do is I bring in my own um Sort of like heading and H one tags into the uh, into the template myself. So I know I see what you're talking about, and that's exactly what I do with WordPress. Because there's a lot of stuff it kind of displays which I don't need. Um, and then upon running, this is a weird thing actually. I run a SEO check on one of these sites I was working on, and it picked up two H one tags yep. on on the website on the homepage, and I found that really strange uh, that it was doing that, although it was. Um, one of them was hidden using display none. And so I found out that it was actually being generated um, in the actual theme template. So I had to go and find that template part and change that H1 or remove it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I see how that happens and yeah, I, I do tend to kind of like just, you know, remove the stuff that's not needed.
0: Yeah, and yeah, you know, this HTML outline of uh, Chrome extension will make that quite visual because you'll have Uh, basically all all the way to the left of your tree, your document tree, um, you'll have two entries uh, because they're both H1s. So, um, you you know, you'll quickly be able to see. And if you wanted the second one to, if that was intended to be indented as a H2 level, then you either need to wrap it in another section um, or you need to change it, obviously, to a H2. What's
1: your your take on... I saw a conversation between some uh, developers on Twitter, uh, like I always do. Um, What's your take on uh, giving your heading classes different names depending on their size? So H2, large, H2, medium, and H2, small, appearing within the same section on the same page.
0: Um, I I try and avoid giving class names uh, things like uh, large, small, medium, I try I try not to make my classes um, represent the way they look, but rather represent the way they're used. For example, so I would I would try and avoid having a a class on a button which says like um, big red button, right? But then I may have a class which is primary call to action button, for example, and then that will be styled in that way. Um, generally, I try and avoid having classes on headings as well unless i really need to target a specific one for some reason and i try and just let the hierarchy of the the headings be defined um you know define the sizes and and you know by using these sort of sectioning elements that's you can do that as well because you could have a, a h2 in a section and you can have a h1 that's not in a section and visually they may look the same because they're both they're both rendering as a top level heading, if that makes sense. Yeah, again, you know, this isn't great podcast content. Uh, it's something that you can only really, really see in an example. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I would avoid using a class like h2 large. I would give it a more contextual class name, uh, and then and then style it however you need to. Really. Uh, one thing I had in a project that I'm currently working on is um, a request from the from the client actually is uh, to make all headings on the on the website look the same. So they all visually look the same size, color, weight, everything. I was just gonna ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit annoying um, because then when we do, we need a heading which is slightly smaller, we then need to start introducing overrides. So yeah. a blanket in a, you know in the CSS file, we've got um, H123456 all given the same font size. Um, so although they have got different meaning, Semantically, mm. visually, they all look the same. So, right. you know, the 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 team, the developers, are still encouraged to use the correct heading where where appropriate, but it's not going to look any different. And then, if we need one to look slightly smaller, then we need to add a specific class onto that particular one and override it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is a better way than obviously making all of the headings h ones or all of them h twos. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you if that is your your end goal is to have all your headings look in the same. But ideally, I, I, I'm, I'm not very keen on that approach. I, I'd rather have some visual hierarchy with my headings.
1: Yeah, and I think from an SEO point of view, I think um, Google and any SEO site checker that you're using, will I think it will pick up on that. Um, and it will kind of probably give you a warning, not a red warning, but probably that like amber warning saying your heading tags are the same size and to give prominence to the most important one.
0: Yeah, it's important for the user as well, just, just to know what they should be focusing on. You know, when a user approaches a page, if there's some text that's slightly bigger and bolder, the eye's going to be drawn to that first. Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. Well, that's everything that we've got on the list for semantics. I mean, it's not a very difficult topic. Um, it's just something that all developers should really think about. Um, if you are working on a project right now, just stop and think, Are you? are you just wrapping everything in a div just for speed sake, or can you structure this content to give it some proper meaning, especially if it's something like a blog where it's got, um, lots of text and maybe different levels of hierarchy in the text as well, um, now's probably the good time to just take a step, take a step back and just try and structure your content properly.
1: Yeah, definitely. hundred percent.
0: All right. Brilliant. Well, that wraps that up. Uh before we go, do you have any sort of recommendations for this week? Anything that you're watching or listening to and anything you want to share? Uh
1: watching um jumped on Stranger Things uh season three. Oh yeah. Um I'm into I think it was episode four. And if you're if you've seen season one and two, you know, you're gonna love Stranger Things um, season three. It's really good. Yeah, I haven't started um, it yet. You haven't? Oh, it's brilliant. It is really good. Um uh, one that a lot of people, or listeners, will be surprised about is I've just started watching
0: Lost. <laughs> okay. I've never seen Lost, so you'll want see You haven't seen it either?
1: Well, I'm, like, I've just blitzed through seasons one and two, and I'm on season three now. And this thing, have you ever seen Prison Break?
0: Mm, not really. have seen a couple of episodes. Okay. There.
1: They're very, very similar. It's just like there's a twist and a story and everything sort of connected and there's another twist and there's another twist. It's brilliant. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. So I think
0: when those sorts of series came out, Lost and um like uh Sopranos and a few of the other sort of classic ones, I was never really into watching T V series back then. Uh, I only really got into them after watching Breaking Bad. Um that was the f- that was the one that sort of broke me in, I guess. So I do at some point need to go back and watch some of these classics.
1: Yeah. I- I'm glad I jumped on that now. Because it's, it's really old. So yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I jumped on that one. Um, what else was there? Um, I think the, the usual uh, podcasts or vlogs that I watch um, on YouTube, the, the conspiracy guys, uh, uh, apart from being hilarious, uh, the host is just bloody hilarious. But the, the content that, that he has and the stuff he talks about is just brilliant. So they, they talk about all kinds of conspiracies, uh, conspiracy theories, and uh, true crime. I'm really interested in true crime. Mm-hmm. Um that, that one's a good one to uh, uh I think definitely get involved if you've got the time for it. Some of his episodes are about two hours long. Okay. Um but there's a lot of banter involved, so definitely one to check out. All
0: right, cool. Um my recommendation is uh this website called poolside.fm. So oh, I
1: saw um, your I saw your post on that.
0: Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's brilliant. It's um basically this the website is uh is designed like an old uh interface. And um, it's meant to look like, you know, something straight out of the 80s. And uh, essentially what it is, it's just a music, uh, it's just a, a, an internet radio station. Um, in the background, I've done some digging around in the code and stuff. It's basically a SoundCloud playlist in the background, which is being streamed through this nice looking interface. And it's just like sort of mainly house tunes, but quite sort of funky, the sort of thing that you hear when you're on holiday sitting by the pool. And, um, yeah, it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant playlist. uh, You know, the branding is on point. And um, the guys that have made it, there's these couple of guys from from France and there's one from Poland, I believe. They've also done another site called Foreign Rap. Um, So if you're into hip-hop and you're into maybe some non-English hip-hop, then it's worth checking this one out because it's got filters for different countries. And uh, Foreign Rap, what it does is it's not just a playlist. It plays the videos, YouTube videos. Nice. And uh, they're sort of full screen uh, in the background, and um, yeah, the cool thing is they've also got an Apple TV app, uh, so you can have these videos playing on your Apple TV. Oh, brilliant! So yeah, check out those two: Poolside FM and Foreignrap.com. I believe it is, yeah, dot com, and uh, they're both they're both by the same same or similar people. uh, Some of the same people. Yeah, excellent.
1: Sounds good.
0: All right, wicked. So, um, yeah, that's it for this episode. Um, if you liked what you heard, then do hit subscribe in your podcast player and uh, leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts uh, so other people can sort of find this. And, uh, yeah, the best thing that you can do is obviously just share this with your friends. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get us on Twitter at uh, and There you can find links to our personal Twitter accounts as well. And uh, the show notes for this episode and all the archive is going to be on the website at inspect.fm, where you can also listen to the show on your desktop if you want to. So until then, we'll catch you next time.
1: Yeah, see you then. Bye.